I'm Tass Mellis of The Starters. This is Ben Golver with the Open Floor Podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff. I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. Hey, I'm Elena Donon, and welcome to the Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch Podcast. Merry Swishmas, and welcome to a very festive NBA season preview of, well, of the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm one of your usual hosts, Mike Miller. I am joined tonight by uh, none other than... St. Nicholas Whitfield himself. How's it going, Nick? What's up, guys? Good to be festive and NBA-related. It's a very novel situation um, with the season starting. And we're not alone. We are, of course, joined as well by Josh Chocolate Gold Coins. Unbelievable. Uh, it's a pleasure to join you guys. Um, I'd like to elaborate on your opening pun with I'm wishing everyone a hoopy new year. Oh, excellent. Good job. And of course, making the magic happen behind the scenes, throwing his captain's log on the fire so he can roast his chestnuts. It's Kurt Kelly. Engage. <laughs> uh, so the NBA season is tomorrow, 24 hours away. Uh, if you're listening to this, well, if you're, if you're listening back to this, the NBA season starts today. Uh, and for those people who are listening back to this, make sure you check us out twitch.tv slash doubleclutchuk. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at doubleclutchuk, and come join the Discord community, discord.me slash doubleclutch. Um, I'll start with a little bit of news first, so uh, you guys weren't prepared for this, but don't worry, it's nothing major. Uh, the NBA season starts tomorrow, obviously. They last put out figures of COVID-positive tests on the 16th of December, and only one player had tested new, well, new player tested positive for COVID, which is a great result looking, you know, obviously numbers will increase during the season, but it's a great start. Uh, we've also had the Bucks being penalised for Bogdan Bogdanovich's tampering uh, a few weeks back, which uh, has resulted in the forfeit of a second round pick. Did either of you guys have an opinion on that? It seems a bit, you know, gentle tap on the wrist. Go on, Josh. Yeah, well, it's the first I've heard of it, but yes, it does feel like a gentle tap on the wrist. Um, I think sometimes they go back and forth as to how strictly they're going to treat this kind of thing. Um, so I, I, it does feel like a gentle one. But yeah, that's the first thing I heard of it. You've broken news to me, Mike Miller. Yeah, this is a this is a Miller bomb for me as well. I hadn't heard of that, but. I'm immediately struck by that is the worst tampering that has maybe ever happened in the NBA to not even get the guy they were tampering with. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? It's uh, it's ridiculous. But uh, basically, the, the light tap was because the the Bucks were very open and honest about communicating uh, with the or cooperating with the investigation, uh, and the NBA also said, "Plus, you didn't get the guy, so you know, it's, it's okay, really." Which is kind of like that adds more salt to it. It's like, oh, we would have punished you more, but you weren't even good enough to get the guy. Um, obviously, it's nowhere near as severe as the Josh Smith saga from years ago. But let's jump straight into contract extensions, because there's been at least three of them in the past week. In fact, the first one came the day after we recorded last week's podcast. And we're going to talk about the Bucks again. Yanis Antetokounmpo has signed the most expensive or the, the, the highest salary contract in NBA history. Five years, $228 million. He's 26. He'll be 32 when this final season kicks in, if he opts into the player option. For reference, that's the same age as KD is now. Biggest contract in NBA history. Josh, what's your reaction to it? Well, my initial reaction, like many people, was that it was 
a fantastic show of loyalty, which a lot of people make a lot of loyalty within the modern NBA and how, you know, how much actually exists. Um, it feels like a real powerful show of unity and loyalty from Yanis. So that was my first initial thought. Um, of course, it will be interesting to see what happens if they do flame out in the next few years, because ultimately player power means that, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're keeping Yanis forever, but it puts the leverage in the side of the Bucks anyway, in the worst case circumstances. So it's a great move for mm-hmm. the Bucks, and obviously brilliant to see Yanis showing that kind of, you know what, you gave me this chance, I'm going to repay you by sticking by your side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it it was sort of squeaky bum time for a little bit where he delayed signing it straight away. Nick, did you think he was going to resign? Uh, so we talked about this um, on the la- on the po- podcast with Joe that we did, Joe Holbert. And I think we were kind of all, it seemed to be a case of if he's going to resign, why hasn't he done it already? Mm-hmm. And a little part of me is still wondering why it took so long if he was going to re-sign in terms of maybe they either weren't offering the absolute max or he was holding out to see what the team looked like or I'm not sure what happened there, but I'm really happy he did re-sign for a number of reasons. I remember the my first comment in the Discord was um, about uh, it, being excited to see his attitude about building a winner rather than joining a winner, which is like seems to be what a lot of players do now. They just try and join a team that's ready-made to contend as soon as they get there rather than actually kind of pay their dues and actually build a winner, which is how old man alert I got into the NBA and that's what the approach was and how teams and kind of franchise players approach things. The idea that you had to knock someone off to become the best player. You didn't just like either team up with them or someone almost as good to kind of give yourself the best possible odds of winning. So yeah, it's old school and I love it. Are either of you worried that this is uh, quite similar to Minnesota Timberwolves' Kevin Garnett in terms of career trajectory? Obviously, Garnett didn't have the individual accolades to the same degree, although he was an MVP uh, at that time. Um, But he signed the richest contract in NBA history, uh, which off the top of my head, which is probably really wrong, was I think seven years, 126 million or something like that. And essentially committed to the franchise and ultimately had to get himself out of there in order to achieve any form of, of success that wasn't an individual award? Are either of you worried about a similar trajectory for Yanis? Uh, I can't personally see them getting to the level that the Timberwolves were when, you know, KG looked around the locker room and thought there's literally no way of me winning in this, you know, in this team. The Bucks have obviously done really well in the regular season, not quite met their potential in the playoffs. Um, I think that their situation is quite different in that it doesn't feel quite as... It doesn't feel like it quite could get quite as desperate for Yanis as it did for KJ or certainly the way he felt. Yeah, just to... Um, I think I agree with Josh in that the situations are a little bit different where... When Garnett signed that contract, Stefan Marbury was there who looked like he was going to be a kind of all-star level player for a long time there. Obviously, it didn't work out that way, but they weren't really contending at the point he signed. And when Marbury left, they kind of 
reached the doldrums of the league for quite a few years and they weren't that Garnett was like propping up the entire team whereas the Bucks are already in a position where they're winning the East uh, or perennially threats to win the East so yeah it seems like less of a risk to me Another contract signed, uh, Kyle Kuzma has signed a ridiculously smaller, I say ridiculous, it's not ridiculous for him. Uh, he signed 40 million over three years in extension on top of this year's uh, contract, which is uh, three and a half million for this season. Um, did this surprise either of you? Do you think he deserves, you know, on average 13 mil a season? What do you think this says about his future as a Laker? The, well, for me, it says not that much. I think it's, it says a lot about kind of um, the Lakers leverage, like I said, kind of what I mentioned about Yanis, but the opposite end of the spectrum where I saw a lot of surprise online about this, but you know that's largely because he's not met the expectations of the hype, so people just wouldn't think they'd commit to him in any way, shape or form. But it's a smart move for both parties. Obviously, Kuz gets paid, and the Lakers have now locked him into a kind of tradable contract, and they can plan around that. There's, you know, his value's been set in stone so that they can know what they can get from him if they do choose on to move from, uh, choose to move on from him. So I think it works for both parties at that price. Yeah, I think it reflect. I think it's a f- kind of fair reflection of um, the potential he's shown uh, pre-LeBron and the slight disappointment he was last year, where he didn't quite fit with how the team played and uh, not touching the ball as much and that sort of thing. So I feel like he underachieved last season and obviously would have hoped for a bigger contract. But I think, uh, yeah, it's a fair balance between uh, what we've seen in his career so far. Yeah, I mean, he had a down season last year. Uh, Josh is right. It it sort of crystallises his value as an asset. Uh, He's been rumoured in so many different trade scenarios, but always the thing that's prevented it has been the fact he's earned ridiculously little money. Now they have a a, a decent chunk they can trade. And although they can't trade him this year due to the restrictions, I wouldn't be surprised if next summer they retool again with uh, bringing in another more established talent the way they've managed to somehow through cap gymnastics, pulled together a pretty impressive sum- summer uh, off-season this weird year. Um, anyone got anything they want to say on Kyle Kuzma? Because I, you know, I don't really care that much for him as a talent. Like, <laughs> no offence to him. He, he just that, doesn't take my boxes. Only that I wonder if now the Lakers regret not moving him uh, not selling high on him at the point where he was having like 40 point games occasionally and stuff like that and acquiring a player or assets earlier where that could have um, allowed them to build around LeBron and AD a bit better. Yeah, I would suggest yeah. that he would, he would, they would be regretting that because I remember a time, obviously, where there, where there was a conversation, whether it's Ingram or Kuzma. Ingram or mm-hmm. Kuzma was a genuine conversation in terms of what they include in a package. And obviously, mm-hmm. Paul was in that conversation as well. But out of all, yeah, a lot of people did joke that the, that the Lakers had kept the worst of the three. Um, but you know, it's, um, it's not good for them, but why on earth would anyone be worried for the current Los Angeles Lakers? Because they've got more than enough talent. Agreed. Agreed. Now let's smoothly transition to a city that often struggles to get talent. And we're going to talk about the extension of Rudolph, the red nose go bear. And I can see I'm getting some slander from, uh, coach Hugh about the size of my red, uh, schnoz. Um, Cheers, Hugh. <laughs> um, 
Gobert has just signed the third biggest contract in NBA history. He's already on for $26.5 million this year. His next contract kicks in the year after. Five years, $205 million. That's an average salary of $41 million. Nick, are you worried about this deal? What are your thoughts in terms of how this is going to go and fare for the Jazz? That's an interesting one. Um, so I can see where it comes from. The Jazz either pay the man or they um, lose him to the market and then have to spend time trying to acquire someone even close to as good as him. So, which in uh, Utah, not only a small market, but a very uh, white market in which lots of NBA players express a disinterest in living in and playing for, it's tougher than most cities to acquire talent. So I can see why it happens, but where I draw a line is I wonder, had they let Gobert test the market, what was the market value for Gobert? Because I'm not sure it was as high as the Jazz paid him. And that's not to say I don't rate him as a player for the role he plays. He's the best in the NBA. It's just that that role isn't quite as important as it once was. Yeah, he's a, he's an all-star, three-time All-NBA, uh, two-time Defensive Player of the Year, block champion, four-time All-Defensive. Uh, is he undervalued, Josh? I think there is an element, certainly in the reaction we've had to this. Um, it's funny just hearing the sentence undervalued and then third biggest contract in NBA history. There. But in terms of the reaction we've had um, online to this, obviously people saying, you know, the the highest paid big man in NBA history. Obviously, he's not one of the best in NBA history, but he is, like you said, as a specialist, maybe not a specialist, but as as you know, for doing what he does, he's one of the best in the NBA. I think people unfairly piled on this one. I think if I was running the Jazz, I would not have paid as much for Gobert, who, you know, there hasn't been great uh, leaps on the other end of the floor. We've just seen him continue. And actually, some people argued there's been a slight decline on the defensive end, um, you know, in, in the last year or so. But I also agree that people have been saying that it makes Do the Donovan Mitchell saga um, a lot difficult, uh, sorry, a lot more difficult for the Jazz. I think that they already had a challenge on their hands in terms of keeping Donovan Mitchell because there's been some tumultuous times with him and the Utah Jazz fans and I think that he's going to look around possibly and think well, you know, there's not really a way for This might be the KG comparison. There might be a time where it's like, okay, so Rudy Gobert has, is actually chewing up most of the flexibility for you guys to build a team around me and I don't see us making any significant leaps and that's when Donovan Mitchell maybe decides that he wants to get out of Utah and it's an organisation that doesn't you know like you said attract stars easily so that's my thoughts I think it's going to be harder for them to keep Mitchell with this being uh, something that takes up a large part of their flexibility Yeah I, I mean in terms of Mitchell's contract is obviously a, a restricted. Well, he's yeah, he's what, now year three, so he'll be a restricted free agent, so they can re-sign him for the max offer sheet then. Uh, but it's whether or not he makes the the audacious step that's becoming you know the trend now of making a trade demand. Um, yeah, but sorry, sorry, just to elaborate on what I meant is that they're going to look at, and he's going to look and see. Even if he does get that contract, he'll see Rudy and not much else around them. 
And I think if, yeah. they, if, if they're using this money to lock down Rudy Gobert, I can't see, you know, him turning into Shaq on the offensive end in, in you know, in the next couple of years. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. But I think it makes it harder for them to keep Mitchell. I, I, I kind of get that. But I also, as, as, as was pointed out, this is Utah. They don't have a, yeah. a lot of choice. They've either got guys who don't want to come there unless they're overpaid or late first round draft picks which the chances of striking on a well pretty pretty far fetched um do you think that maybe we're in this culture where highlights are driving too much that a player's value you know go gobert is never going to be a highlight reel kind of guy and if he is he'll be on the receiving end of a dunk and therefore the perception is he's despite being such as fantastic on defense as he is that just sort of magnifies what you know aren't really weaknesses because he's if he's getting dunked on most you know 99% of the league is getting dunked on do you think do you think we're at that point now and that's what this this sort of social narrative is it's just guys who see Donovan's high flying dunks on one end and then uh, Gobert being dunked on on the other end it's an interesting point and I think uh, there's definitely a reality there that the uh, gravity that Gobert brings when he rolls to the rim and attracts players just because he's such a lob threat is not going to make the Instagram feed. So things like that. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree it impacts like things like front office decisions in terms of contract renewals, but definitely like jersey sales, uh, shoe endorsements, all of those things are... I think intrinsically linked. And I don't think that's necessarily a new thing. There was a reason Jordan was the marketing machine that he was. It was because he was Air Jordan. He was the guy playing above the rim. So uh, yeah, I think it's um, impossible to avoid that being a a reality, but I think it's much more on the commercial side rather than the front office side. Yeah, and from a commercial point of view, they need bums on seats. So can you know keeping the star... It's, it's a bit of a, almost like they have to accept, look, even if it does create challenges eventually down the road, we have this talent and we cannot let him go. As a small market organization, we literally cannot let Rudy Gobert go or we're committing commercial, you know, uh, committing commercial suicide. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, if you look at the advanced stats, it's not a pretty picture if he wasn't there. The on-off stats, um, plus 6.8 eight points per 100 possessions with Rudy and Donovan off. Uh, with Rudy on and Donovan off, plus 5.4, so still good with Donovan on the on the bench. Uh, but with Donovan off, uh, on and Rudy off, minus 8.6. So this is, this, you know, that's a lottery team in theory. And and it kind of, for it's, it's, a, it's a weird situation because Utah have sort of honed their whole identity on defense the past few seasons. And we've seen that their downfall has been getting the offense going in the playoffs. So uh, uh, from from my perspective, my initial reaction was that was a lot of money to pay for Gobert. And then as I dug into it, I was like, oh, actually, this team's just cut differently. I don't think they have a particularly high ceiling, but I think if they were to move on from Gobert, they have a very low floor. Yeah, that's a great point. Either way, fantastic week for European NBA players. Yeah, 100%. Um, so. Sorry, Nick, go for it. Final point on Gobert. If you look at the um, the way the Jazz are built as a team as well, it's nearly always a kind of four-out, one-in system with Gobert being the one. 
and they lose him, they kind of lose their entire system unless they get a comparable, uh, not only defender on that end, but uh, pick setter, roller, lob threat. Um, and if they lose that, that is a massive part of their offense gone. So, yeah. Derek Favors doesn't quite do it for you then, now that he's back there as the backup. I like Derek Favors. He's just not the same guy. So everything 100%. is toned down. So. I got excited about Derek Favors when I thought he added an 18-foot jumper, but um, <laughs> that didn't pan out. <laughs> right, let's move on to some more fun stuff. New season means predictions. So we're going to run through. Um, I didn't write them numerically. It was alphabetically. So A to J, we've got some predictions to make. Um, have either of you, straight off the bat, got anyone winning the championship other than the Lakers? No. <laughs> no. Okay, that was a quick one. Um, <laughs> But Eastern this is the thing. I think any you can you can speculate all you like and you can guess, but anyone saying that a healthy Lakers team is not the favourite to win, I think that's a difficult argument to make from what we saw last year. Yeah, no, I, I agree, especially as they appear to have got even better. Mm-hmm. Um, Eastern Conference, the, the the winners of the Eastern Conference, so that not the team that ends up the regular season with the best record, the team that wins the conference finals. Uh, Josh, who have you got? Okay, so I've taken a lot of slack for homerism on this uh, podcast. And um, I know that the popular opinion is that uh, the Celtics haven't got better over the offseason. But three of the last four years have been in the Eastern Conference finals. I think it's time for Tatum and and Brown to take a jump. And I think the Celtics are going to surprise people in the postseason. Did you mean Tatum okay. and Harden? <laughs> Sorry, Nick, you were breaking up there. I didn't hear that question. <laughs> Nick, have you got someone other than Boston? I have uh, the Bucks. You have the Bucks. Okay. Yeah. So the the Bucks is my first choice, but I've I've kind of feel like I'm still reeling from being burnt on last season's prediction. <laughs> the I I have the Bucks, but. Uh, this is one of those things where I f- it's difficult to know what to think about the Nets because they have enough talent to win the East. It's just having not seen them play one competitive game as a unit yet, it's hard to sort of pencil them in. Yep, I'm going to do it though. I'm assuming full health and I'm going to take the Nets, which is which is crazy because I also think Philadelphia have got uh, have, are going to be much better this season um, and I'd pick them last year to come out of the East. But I'm going to take the Nets. I'm going to take the Nets. I have confidence that KD is still going to be just as destructive as ever, despite there being 85 to 90% of what he was. So did none of us think that the Heat, you know, kept enough of their, you know, competitive roster to continue the momentum from the bubble? <sighs> I don't want to say they, it, that what happened to them was fluky because it wasn't. That was hard work and, you know, just amazing team chemistry and cohesion half of me thinks maybe it was lightning in a bottle and it's difficult to keep that and I wonder how different it would be not in a bubble environment where they've got you know that that ecosystem that Jimmy Butler created around the team where you know they didn't socialize with other teams it was just them the whole way through and that cohesiveness that but that bread and I wonder whether now you know it'll be there's whatever you know whatever the state of the world is that is not the, what it used to be, I worry that even that sort of bit of freedom, this is perhaps not a team that stays as tight-knit as it was. Yeah, and I think they lost a couple of kind of optimum Jimmy Butler guys 
uh, namely Jay Crowder. I think that mm-hmm. like the, the parts like that that they lost will have an impact, but I think for them to kind of make a dent in the Eastern Conference, I think that they need a significant jump from like people like Tyler Hero. Just in the uh, Twitch comments, we've had something from Jimmy Butler uh, <laughs> saying he challenges uh, you, Mike. Uh, he's going to have the janitor. You can have who you want first to 20 points. He would beat me. Uh, no no question. He would beat me and rip out my still beating heart from my chest and pour a big face espresso down it and then take my $20 as well. Um, <laughs> this, this just got dark. <laughs> but I, I just, like, I think it was fantastic. And I got onto the heat bandwagon completely, but I just I just wonder if it's going to be the same outside the bubble. Um, my, my take on the heat is a little bit different. Like, I, I don't think they are going to be worse. I just think they're better suited as a playoff team than a regular season team um, for coaching reasons because I like Spo and I think him planning around team systems in a series, for example, uh, I just think personnel-wise around their best players and their ages like Butler and Dragic, for example, they are better suited at this point to playoffs than regular season. Um, So I think they won't be one of the top seeds in the East, but they'll probably have another good playoff run. But I don't see them winning the East. Yeah. I wonder at that point what home court advantage looks like as well, because mm. obviously there was none of that in, in the bubble. And I don't say any of that to take away from what they did, because what they did was phenomenal. Um, okay, let's move on. So we, we both picked, we both, all three of us picked LA, uh, the Lakers, as the, the finals winner. So obviously we've got them coming out of the West. Uh, who do you think has the best chance of taking the Lakers out in the West? Uh, I'm going to go really bold because a lot of people don't think the depth is there and obviously they lost Clay Thompson recently but I think the Warriors uh, I think I just think think Steph is going to be like rejuvenated this year and I think they need health everywhere else on Mm. the floor but I think in a playoff situation I just think that they have it so do you, do you have them get into the Western Conference Finals then in your in your predictions? That's that they're the team that health assuming could be back at top. Yeah, and kind of seeding permitting, but yeah, hundred percent. I think that wow. I, I think that they can. Okay, Nick, who who did you get? I think, uh, and I don't like this pick, but I feel like there's too much talent not to make this pick with the Clippers. Just, I think, a fresh look at that team um, a season on in terms of trying to uh, mesh any chemistry issues that there were, people being forced to know their roles a little bit one season on. Um, Montrose Harrell out the door. Um, I just feel like, again, it's difficult to have too um, strong opinion before you've seen them started playing games, but I just think there's too much talent on that team not to think they have a chance of beating LA. Yeah, I think they've got a, a chance. I, I just think they've got cultural issues. Um, it is a difficult one out West because, I mean, the Lakers are far and ahead the favourites and they just look phenomenal, health assuming. Um, I'm going to go Denver. I just think another year of taking their licks, uh, progression from Jamal Murray that we saw, hopefully that wasn't a flash in the pan. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., if we see any any progression on that, it's, it's that's a scary trio right at the head. Maybe Jokic starts the season in the shape. 
they could hit the ground running. Yeah, Denver was my other pick I was thinking about. But the the uncertainty with Denver is they are strongly in the James Harden trade conversations. And that changes that team so radically that I can't quite picture what that looks like. If that were to happen, obviously. I I take it you guys are are viewing the acquisition of, of James Harden on most rosters as being detrimental. That's that's the impression I'm getting from the, the two James Harden comments we've had thus far. Not necessarily, only on certain teams. Like, it's hard to see James Harden doing much more than we saw from Jamal Murray last season, for example, at which point, mm-hmm. in the playoffs at least, at which point I don't know why you would get an older, higher paid, uh, less... Less, it could be said, potentially professional player. <laughs> Those wonderfully guarded words. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Um, okay, uh, MVP then, the big award. Uh, Josh, who have you got for MVP? Uh, I'm sticking with this. I just want to also qualify this with, I I did a tweet last week about my kind of early picks and Almost all of them have already changed. It's just ever changing, you know, because it's so hard with like preseason just changing so much, and then everyone gets really over the top about certain games. I don't know, but anyway, if you've, picked, got- if you've picked Jason Tatum for this, Josh, yeah, that's that's where I think this is leaning. <laughs> okay, sorry, Nick, I didn't hear you again. No, I'm going to go for Luka Doncic. I think that the narrative suits. I think that the voters retrospectively realised that they fucked up last year. I think that um, he really should have been realistically considered uh, more carefully for the MVP. I think that the Mavs get better, um, although obviously not as good as my Warriors, which you were really surprised by. Um, And and he's such a complete player on the offensive end. I think this is the time to take that leap uh, from, you know, most improved or whatever nonsense it was. Um, he's just, he's, he's impossible to ignore. Um, as much as I was tempted by another player, I'm going Luka Doncic. So, so when you say they messed it up last season in the voting, are you saying he should have been MVP or that he should have been higher than fourth? Should have been higher than fourth. Okay. Okay. Because he's also my pick. And I agree with you with the narrative. I think, as I mentioned, I feel I feel burned by the the Bucks in the playoffs last year. I think that's gonna there's gonna be a hangover from that for the voting uh, members of the media when it gets to that time next year. Uh, I think LeBron. If you've got another top five player on your team, then no, I don't think you should get it. Uh, which leaves what Steph if he has that that nuclear season that you're hoping. Then, then yeah, he'll he'll be the MVP. Um, Harden already writing him off. Don't care what he does now. He's he's not going to get it. Narrative wise, it's Lucas for the taking. He, although KD, if he comes back and dominates the the East, it's, it's going to be hard not to give it to him. Nick, Nick, who did you have? Anthony Davis, mainly because I think he is a potentially NBA MVP caliber player. And he will never have as good an opportunity to win it as this season, where I can imagine a scenario in which LeBron uh, seeds some of the um, stats that he can put up in the regular season in order to get more rest, to take it easy, to make it to the playoffs healthy. And Anthony Davis can pick up as much as he is willing and capable of doing. So I just think... 
if Anthony Davis were to win a single MVP in his career, it should be this season looking at it for me. Based on the other thing, like Luka Doncic will have the production to win MVP. We already know that. But the it's normally won by one of the teams with the best records as well. And I'm not convinced that the Mavs will have one of the best records in the NBA. So that is my only critique of uh, the Mavs versus I can imagine the Lakers being way up there in record and it being a case of who's put up the best numbers on the best team, Anthony Davis. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... Sorry, go, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, John. Go ahead, John. Um, I, I agree. I think that is the gonna. That was who. I, sorry, I don't agree. I just said Luka Doncic, uh, but that was my backup was uh, <laughs> Anthony Davis. Uh, it was so close between the two when I was considering it, and I do agree, Nick, that this is going to be a real kind of uh, passing of the proverbial baton, and I think that this is when you know he starts to become maybe the lead guy in the Lakers franchise. See, I, I don't agree. Um, for the, on the on the basis that LeBron was pissed that he wasn't awarded MVP last season, so I can't see that he would. You know, as 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 smart as the guy is, I still think there's a competitive streak where there would be a reluctance to hand over the baton, so to speak. Um, and in terms of, yeah, you're right. The vast majority of MVPs go to one of the teams with the top two or three records, um, except when that guy who wins the MVP is averaging like a 28-point triple-double, which is exactly what Luku could do. And I get that this... I'm not even expecting the Mavericks to make much of a jump from the seventh seed because, let's face it, they 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 lost a bit of shooting. They've added uh, a bit more defense, but Porzingis and his meniscus tear means that he's on the sideline for a while. Uh, so I don't think they're necessarily going to have a better record. I just think we're going to get a, a much more uh, Luka-focused showcase. I agree. I think that a lot of people kind of want that to happen. But as Nick said, in a situation where LeBron maybe takes even a quarter step back, there's no reason where Anthony, you know, I can see a world where Anthony Davis can have those undeniable numbers uh, that Yanis, for example, has where even if it is, you know, against the narrative, Yanis, you look at Yanis's numbers and you want to reward someone who does it all, you know, and that's what Yanis does. And I could really see a season where Davis just contributes in every facet of his game and just people just have to look at the numbers and go, okay, that is, you know, he is undeniable. The other thing I can, I I think may have almost an unfair influence on Doncic is we saw the seasons where both Westbrook and Harden won the award on numbers basically and then looked anything but MVP like in the playoffs and I think even unconsciously there will be a bias against numbers skewing votes like that because I think people who voted for those players may have regretted their decision after the or I won't say regretted what I'll say is had they made the same decision after the playoffs they wouldn't have picked the same player if that makes sense yeah, I get that. I think this is the last season we get of Luca where we celebrate his stats as not being empty. And I think if the winning then doesn't follow, that's when we'll start to lump him in a similar sort of category to that. But in terms of playoff production, the guy, did he put up a 40-point triple-double on one leg? It was something like that. It might have been 36. Uh, but let's move on because we haven't got all day to talk about Luca. Uh, rookie of the year, Nick, who are you taking? Lamella Ball. I think he will have the biggest 
opportunity out for the top picks to do whatever he wants. And I mean that in a positive way in terms of he can play all the minutes he wants. He has the ball in his hands. He, and this is, comes back to what we were talking about earlier. He will be on Instagram highlights every single night because of his passing and his vision. So I think that will sway votes. Um, obviously he has the platform that he has because he's a celebrity coming into the league already, but um, yeah, I think Lamelo Ball has the strongest chance of winning. Yeah, and you know, as Nick suggested there, Mike, you you spoke about the highlights and the impact that has on the narrative. Uh, I think Lamelo, you know, pe- pe- people won't be. For example, the, last week when he started, had his first couple of preseason games, there was one of those games where he didn't score and he was all over the highlight packages. And I didn't even find out until 10 minutes later after watching all of his highlights that he didn't score a point. And I think so. I think that just really sums up the narrative um, that is in play for him. But I went for. Um, even though he's had a really inconsistent preseason and, you know, it kind of started to scale down in terms of the attention that he was getting. I'm going to go for Obi Toppin. Uh, I really like uh, a couple of other guys, but I think Obi's got the platform in New York that maybe Lamelo doesn't have in Charlotte, despite the highlight packages. And I think that the media attention is going to be pretty um, intense for him just because of the market he's in. I think the immediate role he has, you know, he's got an opportunity to contribute. And I think that his ability to kind of log stats in multiple categories will once again, kind of, as I said, with um, uh, Davis will make him kind of undeniable. I have to say in preseason games, Toppin's shown he is a more complete player than the um, scouts were suggesting he was in the uh, draft projections, just in terms of the offense has actually been, quite fun to watch, to be honest. Uh, these are preseason games, obviously, but his ability to drive mm. and find people open on the perimeter, for example, is not something I expected from reading the draft report. So, uh, yeah, I, I, the thing is, obviously, the Knicks are not going to win a lot of games. So, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, Charlotte? Well, yeah, exactly. True, but, uh, true. For me, again, Lamelo, the highlight reels, that even if the shooting's poor, it's going to be there for him. Um, my dark horse, though, is James Wiseman because if if the Golden State Warriors are still a you know four or five seed, something like that, then what we've seen in recent years, obviously, going to need someone like Steph to just absolutely just light it up. Um, but we've seen them turn, uh, you know, find diamonds in the rough with their big men. Uh, Colin Jones, uh, he, he was good. Uh, Kevon Looney. Um, even oh god, what was the guy who had uh, his the, the knee for the Kadeva knee surgery? Um, Nigerian guy is also a doctor. Went to Princeton. Festus Azili. Um, that's the one. Festus Azili. Uh, guys like that have contributed significantly for these teams in that offense, and I think there's an opportunity there for him to absolutely shine. Yeah, I think I should have doubled down on that and just went James Wiseman and also James Wiseman for Finals MVP. <laughs> I'm a okay. Golden State Warriors uh, fan now. Just in uh, in other rookie talk quickly, um, uh, and I use the word quickly, deliberately, uh, Emmanuel quickly has looked really good for the Knicks as well out of Kentucky, a late first round pick. Uh, surprisingly good. Could have a good opportunity um, to actually get a lot of minutes. And the other guy I saw, just because the Knicks played uh, the Pistons twice early, Killian Hayes has looked good too. 
that was my backup. I was I picked him last week and I flip flopped between him and Topping. But um, Hayes has that opportunity as well. I think he's going to have loads of minutes in Detroit, mm-hmm. and Detroit, to your argument, Nick, will win probably more games than Charlotte and New York. Mm-hmm. Neither of you wanted to go for Bol Bol then as a uh, cheeky because he's still going to qualify for as a rookie. <sighs> Not going to get enough has... minutes, I don't think. Yeah, that's a good point. He needs that uh, usage that you know other guys will get, but you know, in comparison to last year, he certainly has more of an opportunity to make a run for it, doesn't he? In this supposedly weaker hmm. draft. Um, so let's move on to Defensive Player of the Year then. Uh, Josh, who have you got for Depoy? Anthony Davis. For all of the reasons that we've already discussed, he's just unbelievable. Um, I think that he does change the way the opposition plays. He gobbles everything up that comes his way. Um, I think he's un- unreal. Uh, so I think I'm going to go for Anthony Davis. I went for Yanis. Because uh, I had the Bucks coming out of the East, and I can't imagine a season in which Giannis is as dominant as he has been in recent seasons, not being rewarded in any way at all if they were to come out of the East. So, uh, and obviously deserved for the absolute uh, one-man wrecking crew he is on the defensive end, on the perimeter, at the rim, just crazy defender. He absolutely is. Uh, yeah. So I. Um... I was tempted to go for AD. That seems to be the popular choice. Yanis getting back-to-back Defensive Player of the Years seems like an easier, more likely thing to happen for me. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I'm really quite anti-Lakers at the minute. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with Yanis. No one wanted to go with Gobert or, or Kawhi Leonard or anything like that. Kawhi will miss too many games. And with Gobert, I mean, if there was a time to do it, obviously, you know, with his team investing in him, and with the madness that he had surrounding the the breakout of coronavirus, it's a real kind of um, reputation-defining season. Uh, regardless of the mad, mad contract he got, he f- he'll probably feel like he needs to earn it. So I wouldn't be surprised if we did get in return to that defensive form of a couple of years ago. There may be a few media voters whose uh, microphones he touched. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> good shout. Okay, most improved... Uh, Nick, who have you got for most improved? I had two names that um, sprung up for me. Um, they're both on the same team, and I'm going to say both of them. Uh, the more obvious one for me first was Jamal Murray because he was so good in the bubble that we, if he manages to maintain that over the course of a season, I think there are can't be any argument that he is the most improved player. But the other guy on that team that has a massive shot is Michael Porter Jr., who um, I think you already hinted at a bit earlier. We've seen flashes Mm -hmm. of him already, and he could be the kind of primary wing scorer for that Denver team that could um, go very far in the Western playoffs. So, yeah, both of those guys stood out to me as strong candidates. Yeah, I had both of those on my list. Uh, Josh, who have you got? I've gone for Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I think his usage will be kind of substantial this year. He's uh, he's going to get every look in Oklahoma, and I think he's well-equipped to take advantage of it. I think there'll be a huge jump from him. 
Um, I did have Kelly Ubre Jr. as my backup. Sorry if that steps on what you were going to go for. But as you know, I'm high on his team. Um, and I think that in the right situation, he can take a really big jump as well. So, uh, but SGA, um, and I just wanted to cover my ass by saying, I also considered Kelly. <laughs> fully getting into the Golden State Warriors fandom. Um, I'm, I'm going to go for Duncan Robinson. I think his bubble was obviously a coming out party, so I think there's going to be eyes on him. And if he can continue to to to, to just light it up in the, the way he has done, he's going to be one of the best shooters in league history. And so I just think with a bigger role and more exposure, Is that it good? could be his for the taking. I think he's good. <laughs> I seem to have confused Mike with that question. No, oh, I dropped, dropped out, out again. Okay. What was the question? Oh, <laughs> no. I just thought you were just unbelievably confused at Nick kind of trying to derail the flow of conversation. By you, you were saying me. Duncan Robinson was on track to be the best shooter in league history, and I asked if that was good or not. One of. If that was good or not. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yep, so that was my pick. Uh, love my internet. It's making me look more of a fool than I already look. Um, sixth man of the year. Nick, who have you got? So this is actually the most difficult one to pick because not knowing the lineups yet and who is starting and who's not starting. It's uh, so I, again, I'm going to throw a few names in just because any number of these could start or not start. I don't know until, uh, cause like someone like Dennis Schroeder would, has been a perennial favorite, but you look at the Lakers roster and he probably starts, I guess, cause they don't really have anyone else to start. Uh, but people that stood out for me, Jordan Clarkson with the jazz, um, he had a flamethrower for a arm last year after joining the jazz. Um, his offense was in uh, his, sorry, his role was entirely uh, coming off the bench and score points. So I think he'll just kind of revisit that role. Uh, Two of these guys are linked because, again, I don't know who's going to start and who's going to come off the bench in terms of Levert and Dinwiddie with the Nets. Both, uh, Either one of those could play a big role off the bench for the Nets, uh, a team you'd expect to go far. And the last one, and I want to see a full rage of fury, Mike, when I say this name, Carmelo Anthony. No, I can't. I can't be furious with it. It's it's his for the taking if he just comes off the bench and puts up twenty one points a game. But uh, I'm just glad they're not paying him big bucks money. I look, I've got no problem with Carmelo relative to the role he can be f- perform. If you try and pitch him as a superstar to me, I'm out. But six man of the year, I could take that. Uh, Josh, who did you go with? Uh, yeah, Nick mentioned it there. I think that it's going to be Dimwitty that starts for the Nets. I think there's been some chatter around Karis Lever, um adopting this kind of um, modern Manu Ginobili role. I think it'll be huge for the team. Uh, I think he helps them make, make them super deep, which I think is their biggest strength, obviously, beyond Kevin Durant. Um, and I think that they're going to win a lot of games. So I'm going to go for Karis Lever. Yeah, I mean, I came down to basically a coin toss, which net doesn't start. Um, <laughs> so if it's Karis Levert that doesn't start, he could win it. If it's Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, he was he was, would have been my pick. Um, it's just so awkward because even Nick's saying about Schroeder, and uh, but if even if Schroeder doesn't start, you've got Montrez Harrell there, and is that going to take one vote from the other? Although admittedly, Harrell still won it on a team with Lou Williams, uh, and yeah, I, I even put Melo down as a just a, I will give the guy credit where it's due as a six man off the bench. He's pretty good. Um, coach of the year. Josh, who have you got? 
Steve Kerr. No, I'm going to go for Frank Vogel <laughs> because I think they'll win the most basketball games um, and I think he'll be rewarded for that. Simple. Okay. Nick. Um, incredibly boringly, I had Vogel. Really? Yeah, I think... And I think it will be a delayed vote in terms of um, after winning a championship, he'll be given benefit of the doubt as long as they're up there one or two in the um, in the standings. I'll change my answer to Evan Turner then. They'll change the rules so that he's eligible and I'm going to go with Evan Turner. So, so nobody was tempted by Steve Nash, which I keep seeing flying around, which seems quite preposterous. Steve Nash and his uh, Avengers that he's accumulated. (laughs) I think Nash will um, not get benefit of the doubt because he's almost got too much talent. And Mm -hmm. I think the decision, the thinking will be that it's the talent winning, not the coach. Until it goes on for like multiple seasons or I don't know, he does something beyond have some of the best players in the NBA on his team. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I had down uh, Terry Stotts and Mike Malone as potentials, uh, but I'm going to go with a man we've mentioned already tonight, Spo, because similar to you guys talking about, you know, Vogels getting it in arrears for last year. I think people have come to realise now what what a great motivator and, and just coach that Spo is. And I think that this this is his season to win it. If he's got them up as a three seed or close to that top tier, then he will... He he gets it from me. Makeup cool. Um, makeup cool. Yeah, you call it that. <laughs> uh, okay, let's go with executive of the year. The last one, Jay. Um, Josh, who have you got for executive of the year? Sean Marks. I think that if they top the East, uh, which a lot of people are projecting them to do, if you know, depending on the books, uh, I think he'll. You know, he's. If they top these after the work he's done over the last four or five years, you know, creating a competitive roster from the absolute bottom with absolutely zero assets when he came on board, I think that he'll just retrospectively be rewarded for that. I, I the, the issue I have is that it's not this season. Like his, his off-season moves last season, had they been healthy, yeah, this season, I'm I'm reluctant to give it to him. Um, not that I have any say in the matter. Nick, who have you got? Again, boringly, I picked the same person because <laughs> what how this award normally works is the best team that changed the most, if that makes sense, because it's a it's essentially a decision making award, and the Nets team we see on the floor this year will be radically different and radically better, um, including the coaching decision, which if we're being optimistic and uh, there's no reason not to be optimistic in Nash's potential as a head coach, everything goes well. Um, Yeah, I think uh, it's hard for him not to win this award. Yeah, they hired Nash. They hired as good an offensive coordinator as you could possibly Mm. get. And, you know, if the Amari thing pays off, then that's smart business. Yeah, I, I get that. And for, for a similar set of reasons, I, I've looked at, you know, the Lakers and Rob Palinka, um, begrudgingly. You know, look at the way they've managed to make the best team in the league, on paper at least, significantly better. Um, so he would be my pick. I also considered uh, Travis Schlenk in Atlanta, because if that team somehow 
pulls together a, a sixth or seventh seed, which I'm not sure they will, then he undoubtedly, just the, the roster transformation they've had th- this past off-season, Neil O'Shea, who has redeemed himself in my eyes after giving Evan Turner and, and Miles Leonard those horrific contracts and lumbering us with a Sam Whiteside for so long. Um, they're gone and he's had a fantastic off-season. And even Daryl Morey, who in a few days managed to transform the Philadelphia 76ers from the most disappointing team last season into a team where people are like, oh, actually, this is going to work with Ben Simmons again. Um, so there's a few options out there, but uh, Rob Palinka is it for me. I think it's a good show. Um, I, th- I, th- I think that sometimes, as we've seen, LeBron has an impact on the judgment of coaches and execs, and I think that might play a part in that. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, I, I think we're going to run a bit long today, so apologies, Kirk, uh, but it is a Christmas special, so what are you going to do? Don't cut us off. Um, I've made a list. I've checked it twice. I want to find out who's naughty and nice. We've had some submissions. We've got our own. You're not loving in the uh, the festive cliches today, Josh. You're just sort of embarrassed looking at me. <laughs> it just it made me feel slightly uncomfortable because it sounds so flirtatious. So that I, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I might if, duck if out. That, <laughs> oh, man. If that's what I sounded like flirting, not that I knew how to. Um, okay, so we've had a few uh, submissions of hot takes um, or, or naughty or nice takes, we'll call them, because it's festive. Um, we've had some from an anonymous Bay Area source who, controversially to what Josh has said, expects the Warriors to miss the playoffs. What kind Is of source was naughty, it? Uh, Catch up. O-U-R-C-E. Oh. Yeah, I get into the debates about whether it's condiment or source, but this was actually an O-U-R-C-E. Mm. <laughs> so the Warriors missed the playoffs. Are you? I imagine from Josh's just ridiculous optimism so far that's a naughty take it's an incredibly naughty take you're getting getting no presents from santa this year do you know what i should have i should have done this read this out loud in my head because it does actually sound slightly inappropriate (laughs) what a naughty take uh nick naughty or nice um just so i understand the entire concept of this if i say it's naughty it means it's (laughs) Bad and not going to happen. Okay. Um, In order for that not to be naughty, that you would have to be the biggest Clay Thompson fan in the world. Um, So yeah, it's pretty naughty. Okay, (laughs) that's a naughty take. Uh, Luke Walton and Lloyd Pierce are both fired this season. I think that's a nice take. Um, from who was that from? Anonymous Bay Area source. Oh well, he's been incredibly naughty already. But I'm gonna, he is. I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and say that's a nice take. Um, both, both been seen as kind of underperforming at times. Certainly, Luke Walton. I think he's on borrowed time. Yeah, certainly. Um, Nick, same for you. Yeah, I think um, it's not difficult to imagine that happening. So yeah, what a nice take. <laughs> um, Rich Barrett, Boston are not a home court team in the playoffs. Naughty or nice? Um, I think that, although personally thinking that's quite naughty, um, I'm going to go with actually against my better judgment. I'm going to go for nice. I think that they'll be, you know, they'll be in a position where they really ramp it up come playoff time. Um, but I do think, obviously, some people 
at the top heavy East um, have improved significantly. So I think there's, you know, that's that's highly likely. I am indifferent on this one, as in... Indifferent? Yeah, like, if every team in the East was as good as they could be, I feel like the Celtics could finish fifth and that not even necessarily be that bad because there would be enough good teams to make that not awful. So... I'm going to say it's naughty just because even if they finished fifth, say, I'm not sure it's necessarily that bad. Yeah, that's true. But but also, sorry that I didn't add this caveat, is that we don't know when we're going to see Kemba and Tristan Thompson, so I think that'll play mm. a big part. So I think it's actually, yeah, nice. Uh, Ross, Lakers will not win the title next season, as in this season starting, I assume. Uh... <laughs> I will say health assuming we've all picked the Lakers to win. Yeah, health assuming, but it's one of those things. It's a difficult one to angle because if if my options are which team do I think will win, it's the Lakers. If I'm taking the field versus the Lakers, I'll take the field. So nice take. Nice man. take. Yeah, Josh? yeah. Using that logic, I'm going to go for nice, even though I do, like I said, think that. The Lakers are. The Lakers have win. the best chance, but as I say, if I'm taking the field or the Lakers, I'm taking the field. There we go. Logic, logic ruling out uh, there. Um, we had one in the chat from uh, Coach Hugh, our good friend and co-host. Spurs make the playoffs. Um, I think that's naughty. I think there's been some. I think there's been some improvements in that kind of pool of teams that uh, the Spurs you know, sit among, and I don't think they've improved as much. So I'm going to say very, very naughty, Hugh Hopkins. Yeah, you can see what his remark is on the screen, I'm sure, but uh, <laughs> I won't broadcast it because we'll get the bleeper out. I think Hugh Hopkins may be the naughtiest person <laughs> in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> he has run through a field of wheat to take that to make that take. Excellent. Um, so another one from Rich Barrett, which is a slightly sarcastic hot takes. So we'll interpret it slightly differently. Uh, Paul George to win his second MVP. So given that he's not won one, which is obviously the sarcastic joke, um, let's interpret this as uh, Paul George to be a top three player once again, like he was in that one month where he was good enough to come distantly third in the MVP race. Well... Did you say Rich sent that one in? Yeah. Well, Rich is going to bed with no supper tonight because that was incredibly <laughs> naughty. Um, I don't think uh, there's way too many players that are considerably better than Paul George. Uh, so regardless of his imagination, I don't think he's getting close to it. I've actually been warming up the cane while you guys were talking because <laughs> I've got no other reaction to that take. Okay. Uh We'll get one more from anonymous Bay Area source, which is the Wizards are a top five seed in the East. Nice. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I, I don't think so. I think that's naughty. I don't think um, the Russell impact will contribute towards winning way more games than they were last year. Um, so I'm going for naughty. 
I'm okay. going for nice because I think the ceiling for that Wizards team, just even off the back of Russ, a motivated Russell Westbrook and the Bradley Beal we saw last year, could be enough to do that in the East. Let alone the improvement of guys we saw last year and like Batans, who's a ridiculous shooter, who is a perfect Mm -hmm. fit. I think Beal is, again, he's a perfect fit for Westbrook in that he can be a crazy effective player off the ball. So um, it's a much nicer fit there than it was with Harden. Um, And I do think Westbrook has become actually underrated, um, having slated him personally in the past, I actually think he's got to the point where he's actually underrated because he's seriously good player still. He's just um, only makes sense for certain teams and lineups. Um, But I think the intensity he brings through a regular season will get you wins. So uh, yeah, I think that I could see that happening. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's fair. Um, Have either of you got a naughty or nice take you would like to share? Yes. Um, I think that the naughtiest one, I personally think it's naughty, so you can make your own decision on that one. Um, But I came up with a seemingly naughty one, which is that Donovan Mitchell could be traded. Um, If the Jazz go on a really bad run, he'll kind of look at that situation. Um, As I said, Gobert chewing up loads of the flexibility going forward. Um, And he has had questionable moments with the Utah Jazz fans, a lot of online kind of combative responses. Um, And I think that it's not beyond the realm of possibility that Donovan Mitchell says, I want to get out of here. I think that's a naughty take. I also think naughty. I think if Donovan Mitchell was going, he would have already forced his way out by now. With all the, like, he had friction with Gobert. He had a really good playoff, so his... um, he would have had suitors. I just feel like he would have done it already if he was going to do that. Okay. Well, can I make an attempt to get off the naughty list and um, (laughs) give you one more take? Um, I think the Raptors will win around 10 less games um, in Florida. They've got, you know, good roster, good coaches, but if it happens, we'll really know the full power of home court because the established guys will be well away off, away from their mansions. The local support won't be there and they'll be the closest to the bubble experience um, compared to everyone else in the league. So my take is they'll win 10 less games. I think that's nice. So you're back, you're back on the nice list. Um, and I think it's nice, not necessarily just because of, of that, but also because I think talent wise, they've, they've, dropped a little this yeah. year. So I think there was already going to be a step back of three, four, maybe five games. And then if you add in, like you say, living in a hotel for a year or some kind of rental accommodation that's not theirs, um, then yeah, I can see that. Imagine living in rental accommodation for a year. Awful. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm joking. I'm not- joking. I was actually going to say more or less exactly the same thing Mike was going to say. So nice. Okay, so I'll put a carrot out overnight yeah and uh, i can expect out. some gifts all right and we're being um called out on the the chat from the drew league um shout out to the drew league for for coming through again um dallas mavericks make the western conference finals um i think it's nice uh, i i would love to see it 
Um, I think it's nice, but we do need an MVP-like season from Luca. So, nice. I think naughty, not because I think any less of Luca. I just don't think his supporting cast is quite good enough. And he has the... James Harden effect where teams built around one high usage playmaker and not a lot else generally don't do that well in the playoffs. Yep. And it's, that's the same reason why I'm uh, considering it a naughty take as well. Um, Luca is only one man and as, as great as Chris Tapps can be when he's healthy, I don't trust the health. Then outside of that, it's not enough to get you that far in the West at all. Um, Nick, did you have a naughty or nice take you wanted to share? I have um, quite a modest one, but one I'm quite excited about. The Knicks (laughs) will become as close as they've been for a very long time to being a team that is fun to watch. When was the last time? What were we saying the last time was? We're talking like... um, 2013? We're talking like Jason Kidd, Carmelo Anthony lineups with uh, a, a, an actual like decent playoff showing. I I think it's nice on the basis that expectations are realistic. Again, I'm not talking about wins. I'm just saying that exactly. a casual viewer would tune into a Knicks game and not think, what has gone wrong with my life for me to be doing this? Yeah, I think you really hedged your bets with the creative language yeah. that you used. So... Based on the words that you said in sequence, I'm going to say that that was a nice take. They so all three of us high, high on the messages. mix is what we're saying here. That's what I've taken <laughs> away from this conversation. <laughs> okay. Uh, my naughty or nice take, uh, the Magic and the Hawks won't make the playoffs. Is, is that an or or both? Both. Both, both of them missed the playoffs. Ooh. Uh... Naughty for me. So you, you think one of them makes the playoffs? Yeah. I think yes. I do as well. And I think it will be Atlanta. But for, you know, if we're talking both of them not getting in, I think that you you deserve a punishment there because that was naughty. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Let's move on to something slightly more serious and nothing but St. Nicholas's silly nonsense. Uh, Nick, do you want to lead with this one? Absolutely. So as we come to this festive period, something a lot of us do is settle down to watch our favourite Christmas movies. And Home Alone is an essential Christmas movie and one of my all-time favourites. For me, the movie is made in part by the masterful acting behind Marvin Harry, the two criminals who become Kevin's nemesis. My question is... If you had to replace Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern with two people from the NBA's past or present to play Marvin Harry, who would you choose and why? Mike, do you want to take it first? <laughs> uh, yeah, can I just clarify? Marv's the one with the like the short hat, isn't he? The Marv, short, the Joe Pesci. No, guy. Harry no. is the Harry is Joe Pesci. Marv is the tall guy. Right. Okay. Um, so in which case, I'd like to see Gary Payton as Harry. Nice. Um, and then I, I think you've got to have someone tall and clumsy as as Marv. So like a Sean Bradley or a George Murasan, if we're looking, if I, I'm keeping it in that sort of era. Other than that, if we're doing it modern, I'm going Luca and Boban. 
Nice. Love that. Love that. I'm I'm gonna go for Harry. Um I think there are some pesky qualities to Tom Thibodeau. Kind of take no prisoners kind of character. Um, because I think he perfectly fits that kind of cratchety old man with temper issues kind of role as well. And of course, I wouldn't rule him out, you know, um, as somebody who would push a young, promising star to their absolute limit, um, like Joe Pesci did to Macaulay Culkin. Um, and I'm going to go in terms of Marv, JaVale McGee. He's much, uh, He's much taller than Tibbs. That would be hilarious to look at. Um, but he's got a history of hapless incidents. Um, and I would love to see him reacting in animated fashion to someone heating up a doorknob. <laughs> uh, we had some in the chat come through as well. Uh, Manute Bowl and Muggsy Bogues. Uh which would be a good pairing. That was from Rich Barrett. Uh, Ross, uh, Rodman and Danny Age. Uh, we've had a few people saying Boban. Uh, Jerry Krause and James Dolan. Don't ignore the Knicks ones, <laughs> I'm not Mike. sure which one. Would... I think there's Knicks ones. Charles Oakley and, and John Starks. Oh, yeah. I was looking further down than that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right. There's definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely some Knicks ones there. I think, okay, I think we missed cool. the boat on Pablo Prigioni. I think he would make yeah. a really, really good mm. Harry. He's got that kind of fiery Italian thing to him. Uh, um, just to uh, let you know who I, who I was uh, thinking about when I drew this oh, up. Good shout. I had Charles Barkley as uh, Joe Pesci, and I just think his uh, he's got the right demeanour. He could get angry quite nicely, I think, uh, and he's bald enough, so I think that would be a good look. And my first thought for Marv was: I thought tall guy, big hair. I thought everyone would leave the casting room when Jarrett Allen turned up. Um, so he was my shout for Marv and I also had a couple of bonus picks I was thinking about who would make the best Kevin and I thought either JJ Reddick or Luca would make exceptional Kevins um and my bonus bonus pick was, you know, the like scary uh, psycho neighbor who Kevin's terrified of and then turns out he's actually just a nice old man with a snow shovel. Uh, Tyler Hansborough, I've got because he's got the like <laughs> piercing death stare. <laughs> That's the first time I've heard Psycho T's name in years. Oh, yeah. That's a great yeah. shout. I think I, I largely made my decision based on the fact that I'd love to see Tom Thibodeau try and navigate around a room full of marbles. amazing um okay so uh if you're not already a member come join our discord community is discord.me slash double clutch uh lots of chat going on obviously with the season starting off very shortly uh we also launched our fantasy last league last week where we had a a two-hour draft live online last thursday which was um fun (laughs) <laughs> which uh, so there's a lot of fantasy league chat going on at the minute uh we've had a few listener questions uh the first one uh from rich barrett best fantasy team name uh so we're assuming it's from the fantasy league that we've created did have, josh you weren't you weren't in it so do you even know what the fantasy team names are no i don't uh, no you Sorry. don't okay um Nick, do you have a preference? I was going to pick the unpolitically correct one that I can see in the show notes I'm banned from picking, so I, I won't <laughs> pick that one. I will pick... Uh, it's not unpolitically correct, it's just a bit rude. Okay. I will pick uh, Black Chops 2 uh, by Aaron Ellis because... Yeah. Um, 
I, I know you're not a particular gamer, Mike, but there is a computer game called Call of Duty, which <laughs> the kids are playing right now. And this is playing uh, no, on I'm, the Black Ops variant of the game. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm well aware. Are you aware, familiar with you. it? Okay, just checking. Uh, yeah, that was actually... I don't think that was the team name during the draft, though, because I would have definitely have clocked that mm. the amount of times I had to say the various team names. Uh, so fair shout for changing that afterwards, because that, that, that was my number one pick. And it might be because it was fresh and new and I hadn't read it out several times. Uh, but the one that had me cracking up all night was uh, Chips and Kyrie Sauce. <laughs> That's very good, isn't it? I think that, um, yeah, no, yeah, that was unbelievable. I'm trying to load up the names, but I couldn't quite get there. That's a shame. That's, right. That's a shame. But uh, uh, regarding the video game thing, I'd love to think that like Mike was you know, still thinking, I'm yet to complete that thing where you have the ball on a paddle and a bit of string. <laughs> <laughs> so once he gets to that, he'll get to Call of Duty and then he'll be able to get the pump. Look, I man, thought you were going to bring up Conkers had... again then, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I showed oh, yeah. you pre-show that I have a copy of Jordan versus Bird sat not three feet away from me. Let's not... I'm I'm well into modern gaming. Um, I did actually play 2K21 the other day for the first time in, in a few weeks, and it was fun. I played with Jar Morant, and he was absolutely disgustingly good. Uh, anyway, next question. Flying Tortoise. <clears throat> An obligatory Christmas question. What's the best NBA-slash-basketball-related Christmas present that you've ever had Past or present? Um, I'm going to go for a pretty straightforward one here. I got a hoop and a ball on the same Christmas. Um, it wasn't like my first ball, but I got a hoop in the back garden. I'm not sure what age I would have been, but I spent many hours out there, albeit on an absolutely tiny slab of concrete. No complaints. No thanks, mum and dad. But uh, there's a lot of grass in our garden. So I blame that on my limited shooting range. Um, but yeah, I'm going for a hoop and a ball. For mine, uh, I think we're all familiar with how uh, parents can get presents slightly wrong. Um, and my first ever NBA jersey was a Christmas present, and it was uh, a Hakeem Olajuwon jersey. And nothing wrong with that. I respected the player. I uh, appreciated him for who he was and the player he was and all the rest of it. But the fact he had just beaten the Knicks in the finals made it an interesting choice for my Christmas present. It almost like my parents were deliberately trolling me. <laughs> oh, that's, that's excellent. Uh, my my answer is terrible compared to to both of those. Really, I've had I've had so many over the years that I've I can't remember them. But one that sticks out was my my brother got me um, <clears throat> two books. That cough made it sound like it was going to be really emotional. <laughs> uh, but no, <laughs> he got me uh, the last shot by Darcy Frey and uh, when the game was ours, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and they were just two phenomenal books to read back to back. That I was just like that for some reason they've embedded in my mind more than any other basketball-related present I've ever got, and that includes tickets, whatever. Um, so, yeah, well done to my little brother for actually winning Christmas about eight years ago. <laughs> um, next question from Ben Bean 5 Similar topic. If that didn't inspire you, uh, then maybe these answers will. Can we have some last-minute basketball-themed Christmas present ideas? Oh, man, I'm an absolute sucker for a, you know, because if it's last minute, you can't really go all out because I assume it won't make it here before Christmas if you're ordering something from the States, etc. So something small and simple is a paper bin backboard. 
Um, I would have them in every single bin in my house if I could. I've still got this one that my parents gave me years ago. Uh, you can't see it because of Larry Legend. Um, but yeah, paper bin basket so that you can shout Kobe every five minutes. And that is beautiful. That was like some uh, David Blaine stuff, Josh, in how you just managed to disappear. It was incredible. Um, my suggestion is I'm going to pull on something we were chatting about uh, before the show, which was my festive choice of jersey was uh, Sonic's Sean Kemp, because as I, as I was explaining, snow is actually pretty rare in UK Christmases. It's all about the rain. So get someone a Rain Man jersey. That's a good idea. Um like it's last minute's difficult because you are sort of limited in what you can get. I quite like the, there was some shop in London. I'm sure it's online as well. It must be people telling me to go to, which had the big uh, tea mug, which was a, a ball, but it had a, a hoop in it that you could, I guess, throw marshmallows through it or something. If you're that good of aim, that looked, that looked pretty good. I saw a fantastic Christmas present the other day uh, on the off the backboard forum on Facebook. Some guy was trying to find out where he could pick up a quick jersey from because he wanted to troll his brother by getting him a, a Paul George Clippers one. And that just set a light in my mind, the concept of buying people troll jerseys for Christmas. I think it's phenomenal. A trend um, started my by brothers. my parents. It, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It ties in nicely. Um, what a phenomenal, phenomenal idea. Um, okay. Uh, one more question, I think. Uh, Dave Kell 13, which past or present NBA players are you inviting for Christmas dinner? Um, I chose three. I went for Sergio Bakker to come over because every winter I realised that my scarf game is really weak and my neck gets a little bit cold, uh, so I could really do with his artistry. Um, Can I just clarify on that? Are you expecting your guests to bring a dish? Um, I'm expecting one of mine to bring a dish, uh, as long as they bring something, because Serge will be bringing me um, some kind of you know, human body size scarf for me to wrap around my neck and almost not even be able to get to my dinner because of. Um, okay, so he's he's not going to bring some kind of crazy animal part no, for you to I eat. No, I don't want to be no. eating like locusts or whatever it was. However, in you know... I'm an NBA fan, get me out of here. Exactly. Um, playing a part in the um, preparation of the food will be Chef Curry. Um, he's going to be coming over to add some flavour to the proceedings. And uh, in the situation, in the case of mass leftovers, um, I've invited Glenn Davis because I feel he has the... <laughs> no, I'm not saying it. I just think that he has the physical capability to ensure nothing goes to waste. That's, that's uh, the way. It's phenomenal. Uh, Nick, who are your three choices? I have picked, um, and you may see a pattern here. Tell me when you see the pattern. Uh, Danilo Gallinari, Marco ben Bellinelli, and Andrea Bagnani, because I have faith in their ability to produce quality Italian food. Okay. For Christmas? Oh, yeah. What, 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 would you, what, what is your Italian Christmas meal, then? Um, it's not that different from UK, but... You have uh, slight um, differences in terms of like you have a panettone instead of a, a, a um, Christmas pudding, which no one actually likes anyway. Mm -hmm. I like Christmas pudding. Oh, you are. As long as it's not soaked in alcohol. Yeah. 
Just give me a it's nice. It's about the only time of the year I like it. I'm a sucker for suet pudding. I love it. Um, you know what? So, if it was ten minutes ago, I would have said that that was really nice and not naughty at all. Well done, Nick. I like that. So, so Nick, have you got Italian heritage? Yes. Well, okay. That was. I didn't know that. That's we learn something new every day. That explains it. Hashtag diversity. So it's it's a, a, a tradition. Obviously, I've had. I didn't call it panettone. I'm not going to lie. It was like panettone. Oh no, I like that. <laughs> what are you supposed to have that with, by the way? Because when I had it, we didn't know what to do with it. We like stuck jam and whipped cream on it. <laughs> what do you call it other Italian foods, Mike? Because that was beautiful. <laughs> this could be a spin-off show. <laughs> Eating, going to an Italian restaurant with Mike. Uh, I, I, I just call them their normal names. What's this gonicky? L- <laughs> Lasagne. <laughs> Same anyway, thing I've seen on um, Facebook a lot when someone will say spag bowl and they'll spell it spell it B-O-W-L like a bowl. Oh, oh no, I don't do that. I don't or spell pe- it like people that. I call it spag bowl. Espresso with like an X at the beginning, like the word express. These are all Look things I have to endure. I feel as Excellent. though you just confirmed your Italian heritage with your pronunciation of <laughs> espresso. <laughs> Beautiful. Spag Bobo in the chat there. That's nice. Spag <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so the three players I'd pick, and uh, let me know when you get the, the way I'm going here. I'll go next level. So I'd pick MJ, LeBron, and Luca, because they are the goats of Christmas past, the goats of Christmas present, and the goats of Christmas yet to come. Beautiful. I thought you were going to say, like, because you have goat curry for Christmas, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was <laughs> going down that road as well. No, I, I don't have goat curry for Christmas. Um, I don't know what I'm going to have. I don't really like turkey. It's just dry as sawdust. It's the only thing I can think of there. Uh, anyway. Just a panaton. Let's get off. Just a panaton. And spray cream. <laughs> uh, teach me, Nick. Teach me, please. Uh, so we're actually going to have games to watch this week. So let's go games of the week. Um, Josh, who have you got and when's it on? Um, I'm going for the Nets and the Warriors Tuesday night. I think it's midnight into Wednesday. Um, two teams with loads of expectation and intrigue heading into the season. And the additional Durant narrative adds a little bit more spice to it. So, yeah, that's my pick. Nick, who have you got? Uh, this one goes out to Ross McLeod in the chat. I have Suns versus Mavs. And for all my talk of uh, downgrading uh, seemingly the Mavs, uh, I do love watching Luca play uh, as I was saying earlier I'm just doubtful of them uh, actually winning or getting to the finals Um, but he is pretty he's as compelling as any player in the NBA to watch right now and the Suns will also be incredibly fun to watch this year with um, the addition of Chris Paul into that lineup I'm interested to see how DeAndre Ayton looks uh, with that kind of playmaking Um, and Mm -hmm. he could have an incredible year in terms of efficiency and production so uh, yeah excited to watch that one and I just think both systems are pretty fun to watch as well so yeah no i agree with both of those uh, i've gone uh, a bit left field for this so saturday boxing day <clears throat> 10 p.m i've gone for two of the most uh mercurial up-and-coming point guards in the league we've got hawks visiting the grizzlies they just played two um exhibition games but i think it's gonna be very different in the actual 
regular season. Uh, so Trey Young versus Jar Morant. And uh, yeah, I've been watching Jar in preseason. And if he can keep this up, I'm so glad I've got him in my fantasy team. Um, thanks to everyone for dropping in tonight. That's the end of this week's show. Thank you for all the follows. We had uh, Jack H on Discord. We had Dave Kell 13, T Raw Xbox, Sicko 16, and Casey Ruff 2003 all on uh, Twitch. If you're not already following us, it's at Double Clutch UK on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's twitch.tv slash Double Clutch UK. If you're listening back to this or watching us on YouTube, come and join in the live fun. There has been a ridiculous amount of comments going on in the chat tonight. So thank you very much to everyone who's been doing that. Uh, if you want to join the Discord community, it's discord.me slash Double Clutch. We've got lots of new articles going online all the time at doubleclutch.uk. Gosh, that's a lot of times I've said Double Clutch and my mouth is starting to dry out. Um, <laughs> so... I guess we sort of ought to close it there. So may your festive celebrations be blessed by the presence of a bearded man who some say is overweight, stuffed into a red uniform, stepped back into his escape whilst whispering, ho, ho, ho. We shall see you next week. Thank you very much for joining us. Hey, Chris, Get it with me.